Oh, you mean time to run to...
Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, we are beginning a new series today, and we have the camera set up so that uh, we will be able to show you the video, and then Chris and I will go through the questions that he has posted uh, on Facebook that you uh, have an opportunity to download or just view as, as we talk through some of those questions. I don't know that we'll get to all of them, um, but uh, we will listen to uh, John Clayton do his first video here. And while he is doing that, I want you to be thinking uh, about this question. Why do you think God has set it up so that faith is so important in, in his way of setting up religion? And our worship of him and if you want to uh, go ahead and start uh, sending in just some questions or comments uh, regarding that we will have those responses um, when we get to our discussion period the video itself is about 20 to 25 minutes I believe and then we will have the rest of the time to discuss um, John Clayton um, was is was a, a, a high school physics and um, science teacher and he was an atheist, an avowed, a devout, avowed atheist, and set about at one point in his life to prove the Bible uh, to be scientifically wrong. And uh, what he came to realize and came to believe was that it, it and the Bible, science and the Bible, um, go hand in hand. And in fact, if God created the universe and the worlds, and everything, then they must go hand in hand. I ran across these tapes 30 to 40 years ago when there were only three lessons um, and, and three brief handouts. Uh, he has expanded these to 36, and so over the next several weeks, we will take one of these uh, videos um, at a time and discuss the content uh, using the questions as, as, a, as a guide. Uh, with that said, uh, Chris is going to go ahead and start the video, and um, hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Does God Exist video series. My name is John Clayton, and the purpose of this first session is to sort of get you acquainted with what our approach is about. Because I think what you're going to see in this video series is something different. Okay. I'm sure you're familiar with creationist materials, their videos, their books, their presentations. I suspect you may have seen the multiplicity of atheist websites out there and their speakers. And what we're going to try to do here is something a little bit different. I want to start out by saying to you that I'm not a preacher. That will become increasingly obvious as we go along. I'm not a minister. I'm not trained in theology. I'm a high school science teacher. I've spent 41 years in an inner city public high school teaching physics, chemistry, earth science to teenagers. For 43 years, I've traveled doing presentations at colleges and universities on science and faith. 
My approach is from an evidence standpoint, not from some theological standpoint. And as a matter of fact, I want to emphasize from the very start that this is not going to be, in these first several programs, a biblical presentation. You know, when I was an atheist, one of the things that used to frustrate me beyond words was that every time I got into a religious discussion in the United States with somebody, they would start spouting scripture to me. I was an atheist. I didn't believe in God. So what did I believe about the Bible? That it was an ancient, silly collection of myths that no rational, well-educated, thinking, scientific person could possibly believe. Let me suggest to those of you who are believers in God that you will never convince an atheist about the existence of God by spouting scripture. Because they do not accept the Bible as a reliable source. Now, some of you who are familiar with the Bible may say things like, well, the Bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Well, read the context of that passage. It's not talking about belief in God. It's talking about the validity of the claims about Jesus Christ. That's a different issue. We're not going to talk about Christ or Buddha or Hinduism or any other system in the first several programs. We're going to talk about scientific evidence. So this will not be a theological approach. And I want to emphasize from the start that my approach is from science. What I want to talk about is there anything out there, not Hinduism, not Buddhism, not Islam, not Christianity. Is there a God? Any God? Anything out there? Now, there's two kinds of people that I think may find some interest in what I'm going to try and talk about. The first of these is what I will call overt 21st century atheist, the new atheist. You're looking at an ad from the American Humanist Association. This is an aggressive outreach of an atheistic nature to people who, according to them, are the thinkers. You'll notice the number of people they claim share that position. It's not just the overt campaign type of thing that happens from organizations like this, but it's also reputable scientific people, people with academic training, people with knowledge in their own area of specialization. And as you read through these statements, I suspect if you've been on the web very much, you recognize them. Because most of the common atheist websites parrot the material from the spokesman of atheism. And these people are very capable. And many of their challenges are very interesting. And we'll talk about them. I particularly like Richard Dawkins. You know, when I first read this statement, uh, I'm not uh, a literary person. I'm not a philosophical person. My specialty is physics and geology and astronomy. And <laughs> I had to go back and look up some of these words to make sure I understood them properly. And we'll discuss this particular challenge. So one of our purposes in this series is to respond to classical 21st century atheism, to answer some of the questions they raise. And if you're an atheist, I would encourage you to participate in this. It will give you some idea as to where people that are not fundamentalist, people who are not uh, radical creationists, who don't perhaps present science in a, a very positive or constructive way, 
how to answer some of those questions, how to understand some of those positions. If you're a believer in God, I think it's important to know the answers to these questions because they're good questions. They're people who are asking valid questions about valid issues. And I hope some of you who are watching this video series have real concerns and will want to further investigate some of these things about which we're talking. But we're also talking to people who perhaps believe in God, but who struggle from time to time. And in reality, isn't that all of us? The visual you're looking at here is a, a model, I think, of life. Isn't that your life? Aren't there times when you're on top of things? Aren't there times when you're in the pits? And the problem is that these variations in life can make us vulnerable. And for those of you with a biblical background, may I point out to you that this little model is very biblical. Look at Peter. One minute he's saying, Lord, let me walk to you on the water. <laughs> a few seconds later, Lord, save me. Isn't that life? We all have a level of unbelief. Now, if you're an atheist, that thing's all the way to the top. And if you're an absolute perfect Christian, it's all the way to the bottom. I'm not sure any such thing exists in either case, but that would be where it would be. For most of us, that line moves. It's not static. There are things that can change your unbelief level. Several years ago, I lost my wife of 49 years. I thought I could handle that. I had talked about death. I had debated the subject of death with atheists from time to time, and, and then it happened to me. And when you lose the person closest to you, it shakes you. My unbelief level was raised. You can have your unbelief level raised when someone you trust lets you down. We've had numerous situations where religious leaders have turned out to be something less than what they claimed. And sometimes that can damage the faith of others. It can be world events. September 11th, that shook the faith of many of us. It things like the tsunamis, earthquakes, all the tragedy that happen. And we'll, we'll discuss those issues because they're valid issues. My point here is that they can raise your unbelief level. I call this the vulnerability point. And if you're a religious person, I want you to think very seriously about what happens here. You have a time when for whatever reason you hit a low point in your life. And at that point, your unbelief level is high. And when that happens, I don't care who you are, you become vulnerable. So there's an importance in pushing the unbelief level down. And even if you're a Christian and even if you believe you have an unshakable faith, I think it's important to have answers. It's important to know why we believe what we believe and to keep that unbelief level down. And for many young people, as material comes at them in school, as the web presents material from the atheist quotes that we just looked at, there's an importance in having answers to keep the unbelief level down so they aren't vulnerable. 
Now later on in this series, we'll talk about morality and its relationship to faith, to atheism. But my point is right now that we not only hope in this series to be able to address the challenges of modern atheism, but we also hope for those of you who believe in God to keep the unbelief level low. And in doing that, to strengthen your capacity to live successfully. One of the first things that we need to do here is to do some definitions. Because one of the problems that we're going to run into as we go through this video series on science and faith is we're going to run into questions that have to do with what do I mean by words? What is science? Now this definition is from Webster's Dictionary. Knowledge, state of knowing, often as opposed to intuition. Systematized knowledge derived from observation, study, and experimentation carried on in order to determine the nature of principles of what is being studied. Now, I want to emphasize a couple of words there. Observation, study, experimentation. Now, we've had a lot of discussion in the media about such things as intelligent design. Is it science? And my response to that is no. It's not science. It doesn't fit this definition. We're not going to solve the mysteries of disease by intelligent design. Intelligent design is an apologetic. What that means is it's a way of determining evidence utilization in decisions of life. It's not science. It's not a way of gaining knowledge. It is not a way of conducting experiments. Now, it can have a tremendous influence upon the viewpoint of the experimenter. And there are philosophical discussions about how we interpret information. But it's not science. And atheists have made this point. There were court decisions related to this point. And I, I think it's important for us to understand that design is a very useful concept. We'll talk about design, but not in the sense of doing science. But there's also a problem on the other end of this. Let me read you a quote from Stephen Hawking in his book, The Grand Design. Hawking is defining in that discussion the question of nothing. And he says, and I quote, as recent advances in cosmology suggest, laws of gravity and quantum theory allow universes to appear spontaneously from nothing. Spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing. Why the universe exists, why we exist, it is not necessary to invoke God to light the blue touch paper and set the universe going. <laughs> My purpose in this is not to discuss Stephen Hawking's book or his position, but I want to emphasize the statement and the question of what is science. Because one of the interesting words that is used in this discussion is nothing. What do we mean by nothing? You say, well, that's kind of a silly question. You want an interesting exercise? Put nothing in your word search on your computer and go to the web and see what you get. You get page after page after page about nothing. And the question is, what do you mean by nothing? And the problem is that what Hawking is talking about is the physical three-dimensional universe in which we live. 
nothing is not defined in this sense the way perhaps you and I would understand nothing. I mean, to me, nothing is that situation where there is no space, there is no time, there is no matter, there is no energy, there is nothing. <laughs> and what's interesting about this is that it precludes any concept of other dimensions. Now, if you go into quantum mechanics and if you take a look at some of the things that have to do with things such as quantum theory, what you find is that all of these things involve multiple dimensions. The last version of string theory I saw talked about 11 spatial dimensions. When you start looking at the mathematics that is referred to by Hawking and that others talk about, what you find is that many times the mathematics suggest literally hundreds, literally numbers beyond comprehension. There's one writer that tells us that there are 10 to the 500th power different possible solutions to the equations that lead to string theory. Is this science? Can you conduct an experiment to test these theories? Is there a way that you can do an experiment with these theories? Now, you can do mathematical experiments, you can do all kinds of thought experiments. But the problem is that when you start talking about multiple universes, you start talking about questions related to string theory, brain theory, that's B-R-A-N-E. When you look at all of the new concepts that come about in cosmology, many of them really don't fit the definition of science. And especially if we talk about our world, our existence, the things that we know and can experimentally deal with. Now, I want to emphasize here, I'm not minimizing in any way the discussions about quantum mechanics. I'm not minimizing string theory, brain theory. These are interesting speculations. There's all kinds of neat ideas that come out of them, ways of thinking, ways of approaching. But the fact of the matter is that's not the way you and I make decisions in life. We define nothing as, in fact, the complete absence of anything, including multiple dimensions. And if you want to get into discussions about creation, then you have to deal with who created the dimensions. So I think it's important here to talk about what we mean by science. And I go back to the definition, a state or fact of knowing, as opposed to intuition. Much of what is going on in cosmology today is intuition. Much of what is happening is not systematized knowledge derived from observation, study, and experimentation. Now, sometimes later on, experiments can be devised that will find ways of going beyond our present state of knowledge. And we always need to be open to those things. But I can't argue or talk about what I don't know. And neither can you or anybody else. So let's understand bad science. Bad science is when something is presented as a scientific fact that is, in fact, a speculation, an intuition. Not testable, not falsifiable. No way to really ever determine whether it is true or whether it is not true. Now the other question, the other area that we will explore in the process of these videos is bad theology. And I'm not talking just biblical theology here. Whether you're talking about a biblical theology, a Hindu theology, a Buddhist theology, a Muslim theology, and it is important when you have discussions related to 
the questions of which God to look at who wrote it, who they wrote it to, why they wrote it, and how the people of the time would have understood it. We find people taking statements out of the Old Testament and applying it to the 21st century. That's bad theology. We find people assuming that God can only function in certain ways. That's bad theology. We're limiting whatever our concept of God might be to the way in which he functions. Most of us are familiar with the Big Bang Theory, and one of the quotes I've seen float around the web sometime is that the Big Bang Theory doesn't tell us what banged or who banged it. And when we make an assumption about that process, it's bad theology. Now, I want to emphasize here, <laughs> I'm not invulnerable to this. I've learned a lot in my years. And many times I've understood something incorrectly. And you may find something in this video series that's incorrect. If so, I hope you'll let me know. I hope I can grow. I hope I can learn. I'm open to new understandings. But there's one fundamental point that I want to make, and it's science and faith. You'll notice the two arrows are pointed towards each other. I think this is the view of a lot of people, that science and faith are on a collision course. I think many of our atheist friends would come across with this idea. You have to decide whether you're going to be a well-educated, logical, intelligent, thinking, scientific person, or whether you're going to be a stupid, ignorant, religious fanatic. <laughs> and the idea is there's nothing in between. That's destructive. It's destructive. It's destructive to science. It's destructive to faith. Let me tell you a story. I had a a kid in my physics class many years ago that was probably the best student I had in 41 years of teaching physics. He was in my AP physics class. This was back in the early days of AP physics. He was the son of a minister. Brilliant, just brilliant, and real aptitude in physics. When we were doing the motion problems using trigonometry and, and second-year algebra, he got bored. He said, there's got to be a better mathematics than this. And I mentioned calculus to him. I gave him my calculus book. The next day he came in and he was using differential equations. Two days later he was using integral equations. Then he came in talking about partial derivatives. And <laughs> I'm hanging on. Been so long since I had approached the subject in that way. Last day of school, this brilliant young man came in and he sat down in the desk. And he said, I just wanted to to tell you how much fun I've had in this class. And I said, well, you know something? I said, you've been a joy to have in here. You've made me go back to the books. You, you've taught me a lot, and I've enjoyed having you here. He said, yeah. He said, boy, I sure wish I could be a physicist. I said, what? He said, I wish I could be a scientist, a physicist. I, I really like this stuff. And I said, why in the world would you not be a scientist, a physicist? You, you have incredible aptitude. You have incredible talent. It would be a horrible waste for you not to go into the field of science. And he said, no, he said, I don't want to give up my faith. See, somewhere down the road, this young man had been given the idea that it was a choice. And I say to you, that's wrong. The most fundamental point I hope to make is that science and faith are friends. Like this. They're parallel to each other. They support each other. They reinforce each other. They exist in a symbiotic relationship, each mutually beneficial to the other. For those of you who are believers, let me state it another way. You don't have to put your brain in park 
to be a believer in God. You can intelligently and logically and reasonably believe in God. You need to know why you believe what you believe. And I hope that if that's your situation in the process of this video series, you'll be willing to look at evidence. Maybe change some views, maybe change some understandings. But hopefully come to a viewpoint that makes science and faith compatible, supportive. And if you're an atheist, even if you choose to remain an atheist, I hope some of the belligerency, some of the hostility, some of the negative orientation towards faith can be changed when you realize there are people who believe in God and there are multiple examples of people who are scientists like Isaac Newton and on down who were also very fundamental believers in God. So science and faith support each other. Let me mention to you that this video series is something I hope you look at in order. Don't jump around. Read it from front to back. Number one, number two, number three, number four. Because the first several videos, we're not going to talk about the Bible. We're not going to talk about Christianity. We're going to talk about scientific evidence and the question of, is there a God? But we also have a website in which you can take a free correspondence course. You can borrow materials. You can read articles. We have a program for children. And you can email me. I would be more than happy to hear from you if you have questions. Or if you just want to yell at me, that's fine. But I think it's important to understand that our purpose is education. We're not promoting a denomination. We're not emphasizing any particular creationist view. We're encouraging people to think, to look at the evidence, and to deal logically and rationally with the question, does God exist? All right, uh, as Chris sets up the camera uh, so that uh, the two of us uh, can uh, speak uh, directly to you, um, we'll begin our discussion. Before we get into uh, some of the things he said or some of the questions, um, I, want, I wanted to say a few more things about uh, what we're getting ready to undertake. <clears throat> as, as he mentioned, some of these concepts some of these topics uh, can get rather deep. Um, I think in this series, more often than not, you are going to be challenged to hang with him. He does the best job I've ever seen of boiling down very complex uh, theories and uh, complex concepts and placing them on a level uh, where we can understand them um, as best as we can. Most of us being non-scientists and, and uh, non-physics majors. Um, this, is a, this is going to be um, a, a very stimulating study. We're going to discuss some concepts that if you've ever touched on them it's only in a glancing uh, type situation where uh, you don't go into the depth that he will be going into um, on these various concepts. If you have, uh, you can go to the website um, and you can look at the uh, topics, just the various um, 
titles of each of these uh, weekly lessons that we'll be looking at and you can see that there are going to be some things in there that um, are going to uh, be challenging for us should be uh, growth opportunities for us because uh, the the purpose of all of this is so that we can be better equipped and when I talk to the elders and I talk to Chris about um, using these these videos and these lessons in our next uh, series of lessons <clears throat> it, it was my uh, attempt to convince them um, not that they were were hard to convince but it was my attempt to say we as Christians need to be able to defend the hope that lies within us we have talked about that passage in first Peter um, there that that talks about it says always be ready to defend the hope that lies within you now the hope that's a lot this is the hope and there is a lot there and there is a lot of um, there are a lot of issues and there are there's a lot of science out there that people are going to try to use against your faith to show that you like he said are unenlightened you are uh, a Neanderthal theologist. Uh, one of my one of my professors that that I worked with down in, in Mississippi uh, introduced me to a term called uh, it's the term is a Luddite, L-U-D-D-I-T-E, I think is how it's spelled, and it's a person who is ignorant of technology. Atheists and those who want to question your faith will try to convince you that you just haven't been enlightened. You aren't, to use a term nowadays, woke. <laughs> you are not You are not informed enough to even begin a discussion uh, that is, as, as, is on a level that is above where you are uh, from a, a religion standpoint. So um, th these, uh, these studies will challenge all of us, and they do challenge us, and every time I go through these, um, this series of lessons will go back and look at one. Uh, there's, there's one that I've, I've gone back and looked at three or four times. You can uh, access this in your car if you, uh, if you want to. I, I used to make some trips back and forth from Florida and I would just listen to these uh, audio uh, lessons and it, it's great, great reinforcement. Um, at my age right now, I think I've forgotten most of what I heard, but it is it has the potential to provide you with ammunition because there are going to be people in this life and in this world who will try to destroy your faith, try to make you question um, what you believe and why you believe it. And so those are the things that, that he will be attempting to help us do. Um, I'm, I'm in awe of what uh, Clayton has done in the last 30 to 40 years. My parents gave me these three tapes, uh, I am sure, almost 40 years ago, and, and they provided me with, with information at that time that I didn't have. And I said, boy, this is really good stuff. Well, now we have 36 lessons, and we'll be going through those, and it is a whole world of evidence for you, of proof for you of background information for you. 
The other thing uh, that I wanted to say before we uh, actually uh, get started is he made a very important point. When people talk to you about uh, religion and about your belief in God, um, definitions are really important. When someone throws out a term or something, say, excuse me, could you define that for me? We both need to be on the same page when, uh, when we are talking about such an important term like that. Um, and those examples uh, will come up as we move forward. And the other thing is this. When someone tries to use the Bible against you and they take a quote from Old Testament, New Testament, wherever it is, and try to prove something by it that the rest of the scriptures don't support. It is a very important um, strategy. I won't say tactic because that sounds like it's subversive in some way. But you need to know, as he said, who said it, who were the listeners, and how would the listeners have understood that. Bible is centuries uh, of years old, and um, it was written in times very different from our current times. We need to understand context. We need to understand when God said something to Moses, what he was talking about, and why he would say something like that. And you can't necessarily lift something out of the Old Testament that he said to Moses and apply it to today, 21st century, or apply it to me. There is a context there. There is a reason there. There, was, there were things going on then and there that aren't going on now. So, um, and that's probably an extreme example. But just be aware of the fact that when someone takes something out of the Bible to uh, try to prove, try to use it against you and your faith, be specific about context. Chris, you have any other thoughts before we actually get into any of the uh, any of the lesson? Let's dive in. Okay. Um, I ask you uh, at the beginning in the voiceover there. Um, why do you think God uses this concept of faith so predominantly? Uh, Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith. It's impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. <laughs> what do you think? What are your initial thoughts? And I asked, I asked him ahead of time to be thinking about that. And he said, well, I think we'll just turn it back over to our viewers. What do you Absolutely. think? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a tough question. And I didn't think about it until I walked in this room a while ago. So send us your answers. Let's talk it through. Uh, I've been thinking for the last five minutes or so, and I think uh, I think it's I think he has always put importance on um, on obedience. So you go back to the Garden of Eden, right? He wanted relationship with them. He didn't want them to be mechanical, so he gave them options. Um, I don't think he will ever, I know he won't ever put us in a situation where it's clear cut, where it's, you have to believe it like this. Um, so I think faith is so important. 
I think I'm rambling. <laughs> oh, uh, it's a, it's a, I th and I was thinking when you said go back to the Garden of Eden, uh, God could have created man so that he would not sin. Yeah. He, like robots, you know. Yeah. Uh, he could have created mankind to have a relationship with him without sin at all, without the opportunity to sin, without temptation. He decided not to do that. And so uh, from the very beginning, um, the statement is that uh, let us make man in our own image. And, and I can't remember if Clayton gets into that at all, um, but there's, there's a lot that, that is uh, embedded in that word, in uh, image. Uh, or in our own image, that phrase there. And uh, we can talk about that uh, at, at some point. But part of that is, is God, I'm thinking, that man needs God. Man was created by God. There is something in us that innately, every culture throughout history, whether exposed to the scriptures or not, has come up with a... a, a a supreme being concept, a religion, a system of religion. And so why is that? And I'm thinking, well, it must be that part that we've been created in His image. There's something within us that desires a relationship with our Creator or with something higher than we are. Um, but He could have created us so that we would not sin, so that sin would not be in the world. God wants us to have that relationship with Him. God wants us to love Him. God wants us to make choices that um, are for our benefit, obviously in the short term and the long term, but that please Him as our Creator, um, as the potter uh, is to the clay. The clay cannot question God, and I'm not questioning God as to why He did that. One of these days I'll ask Him, maybe, uh, if I get the chance. Um, but right now, I just want us to think, God set up theology, God set up our religion with Him um, so that we would want to love Him and do His will. Um, and that's where the faith part comes in. If our faith is strong enough, we will resist temptation often enough so that the bulk of our choices will be for Him and not against Him. Um, faith in Hebrews 11.1 1 is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Paul in his writings talks about, uh, you know, our, our hope is in things unknown, things unseen, things unexperienced. Un, um, there is an element of anticipation about faith, that at some point we will experience what we can't experience here on earth. And so that faith is at least some evidence. It's a demonstration of the fact that we have faith in God, we believe in God, we believe that His Word is and was delivered to us, and that this is what shapes uh, our existence from day to day. Karen said, uh, the, uh, I'm guessing the Old Testament, are the people that yeah lived during the biblical era, they knew more, they knew God more than we can. 
<laughs> yeah. So uh, she's kind of making talking to the point that you were talking to um, there. We were talking about before uh, we came on today about um, how the uh, you know Jesus does so many miracles in the in the Gospels, and John says, you know, if we did if we counted all them all up, you couldn't you couldn't even write all these things down because they would fill the entire world with books of just the things that he had said and done. Um, but those people saw it. You know, it would be very difficult, I would imagine, to be there at the feeding of the 5,000 as the disciples brought, what, five loaves and two fish to Jesus, and then he starts breaking them and handing them out to the disciples. They start running out to the 50s and 100s companies, and they keep coming back to Jesus, and he keeps breaking them, and he keeps coming back, and he keeps breaking them. How could you not... Be impressed. Be impressed. <laughs> How could that not click over? But time and time again, you see it yeah. not clicking over with them. So there's... He even chastises them later because that they were there for the food. Repeatedly, yeah. Not the spiritual food yeah. that, that he had to offer. Yeah, he talks about that a lot. We're going to study Mark in a couple of months, and he talks about that repeatedly in Mark. So uh, in any relationship, there's got to be this idea of trust. Um, we talked about that a little bit Sunday. In our, in our sermon um, but I mean just like you guys have been married for 48 years is what Karen said you, you kind of you know you have a history with each other you know how each other think you know you have that trust you would think after the feeding of the 5,000 after he healed a paralytic after he healed a leper um, all this amazing teaching that he's doing you would think that they would begin to say there's something special about this guy I mean I'm hungry he's here he's not going to let yeah. me starve he obviously cares about me. He has the power to do something about it, so I trust that he will do something about it. Yeah, we talked about we talked about perspective uh, at the end of our our lesson on types, and at the beginning of our lessons on types, um, and the fact that uh, Adam and Eve had that they walked daily and talked daily with God in the garden. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Um, that changed over time. And uh, while God still communicated with man uh, in certain ways, that, that level of intimacy directly one-on-one -on -one with God was only experienced by a few people. The rest of the folks witnessed the miracles that were wrought through those people, um, manna and water in the wilderness and, and, and a host of other, other miracles. But you would think that because of what they were able to witness, what they were able to see with their own eyes, scientifically evidenced in front of them, that that should have stirred a faith that was immovable, that could not waver, that could not be swayed over here to Baal uh, worship or, or anything like that, um, or testing God. After seeing the power of God, why would you complain and test God? It, it, it boggles the mind to think that uh, what occurred in those times and then up in, in the first century uh, with Jesus. Many people believed. Many people believed. And the growth of the church, once Christ was risen and once the apostles began their teaching and established the church, it grew, it grew like wildfire. And so... Um, many did, but many did not. And many who did not were the very ones that those miracles were uh, worked before. 
in front of and 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 they just refused and it it's a mindset about I've come to this conclusion ahead of time nothing that you you can do will change it and this is one of the things that I think Clayton will will uh, in, encourage there toward the end keep an open mind you're going to learn some things that that uh, you didn't know before or that you've never even thought about but keep an open mind and and uh, maybe form those uh, conclusions a little bit later on. He also talked about this notion of um, talking to people who don't believe in the Bible and using the Bible to convince them uh, that the Bible is truth. There may be a time for that, but you've got to take people where they are. You can't start with Revelation and heaven and try to convince the person who doesn't believe in God and doesn't believe that this is God's Word. You have to take 14 steps backward and say, okay, where do I start with this person? What do you believe about anything, the world, our existence? You know, where did we come from? And, and start with what, what they believe and then use all the tools that this study will provide for you to help get them to the point where they can have confidence in this. And then once they have confidence in it as, as truth or as a potential source of truth, then they'll be open to reading it and studying it with you. So don't spout uh, scripture to people to whom it has no effect or impact. It's a very, very valid point uh, that he made uh, up front. Uh, we don't have time. Uh, we only got about 10 minutes left. Um, and next time we'll try to get into the questions a little bit uh, earlier uh, in our discussion here. Um, another point that he made, um, that there are a lot of very intelligent people out there who are trying to destroy people's faith, or else they are trying to prove to themselves that God does not exist and that uh, we should not have faith in a God that this book uh, presents to us. And there are a bunch of theories out there, but a theory would cease to be a theory if you could prove it. Once you prove it, it's no longer a theory. So when people use uh, some of the things, brain theory and string theory and quantum uh, theory and those types of things, those are, as he said, and I'm just quoting because I don't know, and I don't understand those and I don't want to, uh, to spend any of my time getting into that, is, is this notion of they are trying to mathematically prove something about which they don't have any information. Multiple dimensions. We know time, space, matter, and, and things of that sort. We live in a three-dimensional uh, universe. God doesn't dwell there. And so uh, he, what he was, is able to com, uh, accomplish with the creation of this world and with all that goes into what makes it work, it's very difficult for man in his limited way of thinking to come up with evidence. In other, in other words, he can't do that. So he has to come up with a theory and use mathematical equations and all these sorts of things to try to show that this is not. At least that's what I hear uh, Clayton saying.
chime in anytime you want, Rick or Chris. You're, <laughs> you're, you're Chris. I'm Rick. Uh, the sense, uh, this idea of nothing. Um, I'm sure he'll talk more about when he starts talking about the scriptures and the creation uh, story and things of that sort. Um, understand that context is important. Uh, I think uh, I wanted to mention that. Um, the point he made about about science um, and and religion. They're not in opposition. They cannot be in opposition. If God created the heavens and the earth, he created it to work. He could have created it without any scientific principles uh, in effect at all. Utter chaos. It's just this stuff just happens. We know that that's not true. We have found over the course of human events and, and existence that there is a rational, logical, explainable uh, reason for just, a, well, for everything. We haven't discovered what some of those are yet, but we are continuing to improve our knowledge about this world that we live in. Um, and we will continue to grow and understand about that. But what, what it should do for us is testify that a God who can create what appears before us in our eyes also put behind that scientific rules, uh, data, um, evidence that we can test about different things, about our bodies, about the world around us and so forth. And so uh, it, it just boggles the mind and it ought to strengthen our faith when we see that the things that we learn about in science with the exception of a few things that aren't science but again are theories what do we call that evolution thing it's called the theory theory mm -hmm. of evolution although it is taught as fact multiple problems with that from a an evidentiary standpoint a logical standpoint yet the scientific community has decided that's how man has come to be what man is today clayton will deal uh, a lot with with evolution and and uh, show you that real science supports the creation and um, and it, it, it's just it's astounding the evidence that he can come up with that is right there before our mm -hmm. eyes simply because we didn't know that science backed it up. Um, as we said, why are we studying this? We want to be able to uh, defend our faith. The better we understand what their arguments are against our faith, the better off we will be able to uh, counteract those arguments and, and be convincing not only to that person but to reinforce our faith as well. There was a, um, you will have people tell you that uh, you're not real. You're just a concept in someone's mind. Somewhere, somewhere, somebody uh, out there is, is, is playing this world out in his mind. That nothing really exists and and if you've never had a conversation with anybody who believes that or throws that out as a theory it's an interesting discussion 
up to a point, right. and then and then you go, you, you start going around in circles. Um, I uh, was an English major in college, and uh, I, th I think it was Luigi Pirandello wrote a, a play called Six Characters in Search of an Author. And when I was thinking about this concept of, uh, that he mentions here in, in the questions about this being um, all of us are in a vast experiment or in someone else's mind, I thought of that. The, each of the characters had names, uh, but they didn't have a plot because the author had not given them a plot. He had created the characters, so they existed at least at, at that level. And I thought that, that really uh, gets off base. It gets you away from the things that you should be talking about and um, what Clayton will be talking about with us over the course of the next several weeks. Um, this content is phenomenal. I know I've said that, um, but I think you will grow uh, in your appreciation for science. You will grow in your appreciation for the scriptures because it is simply amazing how much science supports scripture. And people will tell you that story he told you about the young man, the, the high school student that he had. There are people out there that says you've got to make a choice. It's either science or religion. Because non-religious people, non-believers, have presented it that way. It's not that way. If science and the Word do not go hand in hand, then God didn't create them, either of them. My, that may be a Rick statement, but I think it's a statement that Clayton says as well. God created the universe. He knows what he did. He made it work for the human mind. All we have to do is grow enough, learn enough, so that what we learn about the world around us strengthens our faith, doesn't damage our faith, and it certainly does not require a choice on our part choosing one uh, over the other. Good stuff. You have anything, Chris? Uh, only thing I had, when I was in uh, high school, I think one of my teachers, um, Bible class teachers, was telling me, you know, that, um, uh, goodness, you know, um, lost my train of thought there. I gotta start writing this stuff down. <laughs> um, there, there are times. What there are times I? when um, you will be um, puzzled and blocked uh, when someone asks you a question um, or says, "Well, how can this be?" Um, and all you, if you don't know the answer, all you can do is say, "I will go and find out how that works." My limited knowledge doesn't allow me to do that. I contacted um, John Clayton. And um, I asked him, um, I, I, it, was, it was something about these lessons. I told him that we had um, purchased these uh, for, for the church here, that we were going to begin this study, and that I had run across these uh, tapes several, you know, 30, 40 years ago, and I was looking forward to it. And he, he communicated back. He wrote me back and, and um, said um, something else. Uh, do you have the guide? And I found out that the guide is simply these questions. Uh, but he sent it to me in a little booklet form. Um, so I thought, well, maybe he'd be interested in taking a look at, at the lesson on types. And so I, I, I said, here's something that is more internal evidence that, rather than the external evidence 
that you talk about um, in your work here. I said maybe maybe you might be able to uh, find a way to uh, help me get this out to the public. He said he had a hard time opening it, but <laughs> I followed up and says, I hope you opened it. I can condense it or whatever. My point is this. That man right there is still alive. Um, he's still going. He's still making his uh, speeches and conducting his sessions around the country, fewer now uh, than he did at one time because he is older. Um, but if you write him and ask him a question, he will respond with information that will help you uh, answer that question. So if you ever get stuck, ask Chris or me first and we'll say, we're just going to pass that on to, uh, to John Clayton. Um, uh, he has a lot more answers than we do. He has a lot more uh, understanding and, and knowledge about the world around us. And so uh, we will continue to use him as a resource and um, I'll continue communicating with him uh, as well. That's all we have time for today. Tune in next uh, week and we will look at lesson two. And I don't know the name of that lesson, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll post it and uh, the, the notes are out there for you, okay? Thank you. See you next week.